it's been good to see some. It's been good to see all of you uh, over the last two evenings and one or two newer faces this evening, and that's an absolute thrill. Uh, many fond memories of being with you live in person up there at what is now Hope Church, and I look forward to the day when we'll be able to get back to be with you again, hopefully in the not too distant future. I was actually smiling there when I saw the kiddies, uh, Sophia and uh, Joshua, and how they have grown since the last time I saw them. But uh, lovely kids, and great to see all of you. Uh, there's been a visitor with us each of the evening so far, Peter down here from um, Bristol, and you've made him very welcome as well. Now, I know some of you folks are into football and statistics and rubbish like that. Well, if you've got any questions, you have a word with him. He was a top statistician for the BBC for many, many years. And uh, you want to know what's useless about statistics, have a chat with him somewhere at the very end. But make sure it's at the very end, okay? And uh, now let's just get into God's word, shall we? Turning to John chapter 21. We had to get there eventually, didn't we? And as I said last evening, uh, the three talks that we're doing, they're not really exposition as such going verse by verse, chapter by chapter. But what we're doing is giving you kind of a potpourri of the life of Peter, kind of a potted history and simply drawing lessons for your life and mine from the life of God's servant, Peter. So tonight we're looking at John chapter 21. We're going to read most of the chapter through. It's a wonderful chapter. And we read down there in verse one. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, I'm not sure what you think about when you read that particular statement, but I have to say, reading it again right now, I just can't avoid a right chuckle. Why on earth would you put on a heavy outer garment to go into the water, get it wet, when you're going to swim ashore? I mean, it's daft, isn't it? Even I wouldn't do that. But there we are. That's our friend Peter. And uh, then we look at verse 8. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. 
Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What a way to end a chapter. What a wonderful way to end a gospel, the gospel of John. My dear friends, the last two evenings and again this evening, we've been shining the torchlight on our friend Peter. The first talk on Friday evening was entitled, How to Walk on Water. The second one, last evening, How Not to Lose Face. And the third one we're thinking about presently is how to be smart. You know, every time I think about our friend Peter, one of the great truths about your God and mine is that, as I said last evening, he is a God of the second chance. He's a God who doesn't write us off just because you and I make a mess of things 
and repeatedly mess things up. Your God and mine is a God of marvelous patience and amazing grace. He is a God who never gives up on us. And I think we see that coming through ever so clearly in the study we're doing this evening. How to be smart. Now, when we think about Peter, up to this point in the narrative and his life story, I think we can do a quickie summary of his ups and downs. Let me put it like this. Number one, he boasted too much. Number two, he prayed too little. You remember he was one of those who fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Number three, he acted far too soon. And we discovered that last evening when a fisherman with a sword is a lethal combination and he slashed off the ear of Malchus. And then number four, sadly again last evening, he followed too far. He was at a distance. And those are haunting words every time we think about them. And then finally, number five, he thought far too late. You see, there's no point in shutting the door when the horse has bolted. And that's exactly what happened to Peter, isn't it? He remembered the prediction of the Lord Jesus Christ only when the rooster crowed. And when that rooster crowed, Peter knew that he had blown it big time, perhaps bigger than any other time previously. And what does the Bible say? In a very poignant, touching narrative in the Gospel of Luke, 22, we read these words that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. In other words, he sobbed uncontrollably. He basically cried his heart out. Here was one man filled with remorse, overcome with regret, and a man who in the providence of God would be brought to a place of restoration. And that's exactly what we have right here in this final chapter in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Remember, this is the third time the Lord Jesus has appeared to some of his followers. So we're right now in the wake of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But where are these disciples? Well, they're back home, as it were. They're up there in the north of Israel. They're up there by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And guess what they're doing? They're going back to the fishing. And so the first thing that we want to think about this evening is this. One last catch. One last catch. You see, for the disciples, there were quite a number of them there, according to John 21. They were back where, for many of them, it all began. This was where the journey all started. And so this was the ideal moment for Jesus to appear to them as a bigger group. It was the perfect spot for Jesus to reveal himself to them, even though they were not expecting it, never mind anticipating it. So you see what's happening right here in those first two or three verses in John 21. They're back home, as I say. It would seem from reading between the lines that men being men and hardworking grafters, as they undoubtedly were, these guys were, quite frankly, bored to tears. And so when Peter says, I'm going out the fishing, 
they didn't have to wait to be asked a second time, did they? They can't resist the opportunity to get back out there on the waters of the Sea of Galilee. The appeal, the lure is irresistible. Now, don't you love this wee bit in the narrative? John tells it quite literally as it is. He doesn't uh, put a gloss on it in any way. There's no sheen, there's no shine. He tells a stark reality of exactly what happened. And you have it down there in verse three. But that night, they caught nothing. A classic case of deja vu, same again. You can imagine how they must have felt. I mean, frustration is one word that comes to mind. They caught absolutely nothing, zilch. Not even a teeny weeny minnow is in their nets. There is night for them to show after an evening's hard graft. It's a picture of failure, isn't it? Dejection. Uh, for these guys, the bottom line is, apart from getting a night out on the sea and the fresh air blowing into their lungs and all the rest of it and just the fun of old times being regathered together. Quite frankly, it was a total waste of time, wasn't it? And then Jesus appeared. And that's what you have in that little paragraph in verse four, down to verse six. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Isn't that lovely? They didn't realize who it was was standing there. And that voice from the shore shouted out to them the inevitable, well, fellas, any luck? How's it going? What's the catch? You can hear them saying in unison, if not in harmony, nothing, nothing. And then the Lord Jesus told them exactly what to do. Cast your nets out another time on the right side of the boat. Wow. You see what happened down there, folks? It's miracle time. And the hole was so great. They were struggling to get the boat back into shore. It was enormous. Nothing short of fantastic. In fact, the Bible says down there, there were 153 large fish. Now, before we move on, let me try to clarify something there. You can read a whole host of Bible commentators, and they come up with a lot of wacky and weird, but not so wonderful ideas as to the significance behind that number, 153. Okay? I don't think you need to read anything into it that ain't there. Very simply, from what I can understand of the narrative, is that these men would have to keep a record of the number of fish that were caught. But why would they need to do that? Well, you've heard a tax, haven't you? A levy? And that's exactly why they did it. So don't read into it what ain't there. All right. So Jesus said, do this, blah, blah. What a Peter. Well, I tell you. And this is vintage Peter. I mean, the man's a legend, isn't he? He didn't wait for them to get to shore. He just, as I said earlier, grabbed his coat, put it on him, he jumped in, and he swam the fastest hundred yards ever seen at that point in time. But you know, ain't that Peter? Isn't it? That is Peter, spur of the moment. Why does he do it? Well, I reckon it's because he's so thrilled just to see Jesus. 
You remember the message went out, as I said the other day, on that resurrection morning. Go and tell my disciples, but make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter. For Peter, this was a moment of truth. Thrilled to see the Lord. But hey, folks, Peter had absolutely no idea what Jesus had up his sleeve for him in a few minutes' time. It's probably a good thing that he didn't, isn't it? But again, it's a reminder that God's timing is always perfect. And when God says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, whatever God says to you and to me today, and in the future that lies before us, it's always the right thing to do. One last catch, and it was a big one, wasn't it? What else do we have right here? Well, we come across one last breakfast. One last breakfast. Now, the Lord Jesus, being Jesus, is one step ahead of these fishermen. Breakfast is ready. The wee fire burning there in the sand down by the seashore. And uh, breakfast of fish and bread. Well, I'm just glad I wasn't there on that occasion, because as far as I'm concerned, they can keep their fish. Don't do anything for me. The bread, sure, not a problem. But fish and bread. And you know, for these fellas, try to put yourself in their wet sandals at this point in the story. I mean, it must have felt like old times, mustn't it? They'd been with Jesus the best part of three years. They'd done so much together with the Lord Jesus. And here they are again, just as dawn is breaking. And they're sitting with Jesus. They're eating fish. They're eating bread. They're warming themselves by the fire. It's actually hard to describe, isn't it? But those are sweet, precious, treasured moments of intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, for them, it must have been so very meaningful. It was undoubtedly massively enriching. And I suppose the bottom line is this, that meeting with Jesus there on the shore of the Galilee. It's done their heart and their tummies a lot, a lot of good, hasn't it? One last catch, one last breakfast, one last message. One last message. You see what the Bible is talking about right there over the page in the following verses. The sun is rising, a new day is dawning. The big fishermen, they're getting dried out in the warmth of the morning sunshine, and the way far before them. They're just feeling so relaxed. This was unbelievably wonderful. And then, like a bolt from the blue, when they were least expecting it to happen, Jesus probes a recent wound in the heart of dear Peter. We read it together, didn't we? He asked him three times, Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Same question three times. Presumably, each one to match one of Peter's denials. Also before a wee fire in the city of Jerusalem. And he asks it, not of Peter the rock, but he asks it of Simon. And people will say to you and to me, the name Simon actually means shifting one. And we've got to ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus not call him Peter? 
Why did Jesus refer to him as Simon? I think it's partly because Jesus wants to take him back to the very beginning of their relationship. He doesn't want to demoralize him or even demote him. He wants to rebuild the foundation, to strengthen the foundation. He wants, if you like, to fill in the cracks. But did you see how he does it? Well, there's two things in that first question, isn't there? And is there in verse 15? He said, Simon, do you truly love me more than these? Now, these, of whom is he speaking? Or perhaps, of what is he referring to? Well, I suppose it could be the other disciples. Do you love me more than these? Or it could be the fish and the lucrative market that they had for them. It could be anything. It's open-ended. And the challenge comes to your heart and to mine this evening of the Lord's Day. Do you love me more than whatever? Did you notice the word love that is used there by Jesus? It's the term agape. It's the highest form of love. The love that he's talking about there is Calvary love. It's John 3.16 kind of love. That's how Jesus spoke to Peter. But when Simon replied to him, he used a different word. He used the word filio. And that's the term for friendship. We're the best of buddies, as it were. So Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me first? As it were, Simon said, you know, dear Lord, I like you. We're the best of buddies. We're really, really good friends. I really, really, really do like you. And even at that, Jesus said to him, I want you to feed my lambs and feed my sheep. But you know, that's not the end of the interview, was it? Because Jesus repeats the question yet another time. But it's a wee bit different. It's the same, but different. Because this time around, he drops the more than these. And he only asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? He still used the same word, agape, for love me. Why did Jesus delete the phrase more than these? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to sharpen Peter's thinking. He wanted to focus Peter's thinking. He was narrowing the issue right down. And so at this point, it's just about Peter and where the Lord really fits into his life. And again, Peter responds with less than what Jesus is asking for and looking for. But again, Jesus reiterates the commission to him in verse 16. Okay, Peter, I hear what you're saying. Take care of my sheep. Look after my sheep. One time, two time, third time. Jesus said something similar to Peter, didn't he? But this time he used the same term for love that Peter used. It's the word filio. He was saying something like this. Simon, are you just fond of me? Do you really just like me? But you know, I love the way Dr. Luke tells us there, don't you? Peter felt it. He's hurt. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know, I'm really, really, really fond of you. 
And you also know that my love for you is flawed. And again, again, because of God's amazing grace. What does Jesus do? He doesn't stand and argue with him or even reason with him any further. He gives him the same commission. Hey, buddy, I want you to feed my sheep. Peter would be an under-shepherd in God's flock. And do you remember in his first epistle, five chapters, he refers to something there about the day when that shepherd himself will appear from glory. Lessons learned there by the shores of Galilee, Peter never forgot. And they marked his ministry to the end of his life. And so Jesus pretty much told him, didn't they? Okay, Peter, yeah, you're right, my friend. Uh, I do do all things. There's nothing I do not know, Peter. But, you know, I still want you to look after my sheep. Uh, I know you don't always get it right. I know you mess up sometimes. I, I know your love is flawed. And sometimes you blow hot and you blow cold. Peter, I know all of that. But look, Peter, I haven't given up on you. I haven't set you aside and put you on the shelf. Isn't that beautiful? Because the same Jesus who came to Peter two millennia ago comes to your heart and to mine this Lord's Day evening and he whispers into your ear and into mine whatever may have happened yesterday or in the past. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. He is the God of the nth chance, isn't he? Isn't that what the Lord Jesus does? Doesn't he specialize in a ministry of restoration? But you know, that takes honesty on our part, doesn't it? To be able to admit to that. It also takes realism on our part as well. It certainly takes a fair dose of humility. But for Jesus, this is his speciality, putting broken lives back together again. Thank God he does. He picks up the pieces that lie shattered on the ground before us. There's an old song that says, he doesn't throw the clay away. You know, I bet Peter was enormously relieved. Wouldn't you agree? The Lord is so good. He's a God who is generous in his grace. He forgives. Sure, he does. But you know, Jesus told it to Peter. All guns blazing, if you like. You see, it isn't all good news, is it? Because further down the story in verses 18 and verse 19, he told Peter quite simply what lay ahead of him. Peter's future would be mightily owned and blessed of God. He would be a a man who would be a pillar in the early church. There's no doubts about that. He would be breathtakingly used in the unstoppable move of God's spirit in those early days. He has a purpose and a mission. But the mission, it will end in a grim finish. Yeah. You see, Jesus showed him exactly what he used to be like. And then the picture changes radically. At the very end, Peter isn't even in charge of his own destiny. He's not even responsible for his own daily routines. 
things that you and I so often take for granted. At this point in the life of Peter, at the end of the journey, he can't do these things any longer for himself. We know from history that Peter was martyred around the year AD 61. It was grim, no doubts there. I mean, first of all, he saw his beloved darling wife crucified before his own eyes. I wonder what that must have felt like for Peter. It reminds me of dear Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her darling boy hanging on a center cross. How must Peter have felt? And then with a willing heart, Peter walked to the same gallows. But history would tell us he chose to die upside down because he didn't want to die. And he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner the Lord Jesus did. Remember what I said in the first study about Peter? Yeah, one minute he's a coward. Next minute, he's the epitome of courage. And what you have right here at the end of John 21 is a picture of guts, if ever, in a man like Peter. One last lesson, and then I'm through. One last lesson, and that's what you find at the end of verse 19 through to verse 21. Now, remember all that has happened there on the shores of the Galilee. Dear Peter, bless him. He's been commissioned. He's been restored. It's hunky-dory. Even though the future is so exciting and exhilarating, and even though it will end with, yeah, a difficult experience for dear Peter, harrowing, horrible. You see what's happening right now in 19b to 21? Peter sees John, the beloved disciple the one who leans on the breast of Jesus, the apostle of love. And Peter can't resist asking the loaded question. Okay, Lord, you've told me all about me. But hey, Lord, what about him? What about the guy sitting over there? What about John? You know, the old weakness, it's still there, isn't it? And I think to put it very mildly, Jesus tells them in no uncertain terms in verse 22, Peter Mind your own business. Keep your nose clean. I can handle John. Okay? I think there's a lesson there that you and I need to take on board. And it's simply this. It's my personal relationship with God that really matters. Mine. Everybody else's relationship with God, he can look after himself. Okay? Now, before we finish, three principles for you and I to draw from this incident and how to be smart, okay? Number one, number one, when the Lord offers an opportunity to transform futility into fruitfulness, let's be open to change. When the Lord offers an opportunity to transform futility into fruitfulness, be open to change. And that's what you have at the beginning of John 21, isn't it? That night they caught nothing. And when they obeyed the word of Jesus Christ, that night they caught a lot. In other words, the way to move from futility to fruitfulness is to do it God's way. Simple.
Do it God's way. And the second principle we discover is this. That when the Lord moves you in a new and a challenging direction, expect to do some soul searching. When the Lord moves you in a new and a challenging direction, expect to do some soul searching. What do I mean when I say that? Well, our friend Peter was on the verge, right on the edge of a new and a mega big challenge, wasn't he? He was to lead the early church. But Jesus would no longer be standing beside him. But first of all, first of all, Jesus led him through some very real issues. He gave him there on the beach after breakfast a kind of appraisal. And for you and for me, we need to be realistic about our abilities and our gifts, but also about our level of commitment. Yet we also ought to be willing to step out and go forward, trusting in God's abundant provision. That's the only way to do it. And the third principle is this, that as we follow Christ, don't compare yourself with others. I'm stating the obvious, aren't I? As we follow Christ, don't compare yourself with others. That's where Peter slipped up at the end, isn't it? Look, folks, Jesus has a plan for your life. He does. He has a bespoke plan for your life, something tailor-made with your name etched on it. So my message for you this evening is simply this. Don't waste time. Don't waste energy worrying and wondering about what is scheduled for the fellow beside you or the girl on the other side of the road. Don't worry about them. Because if you do, it will only distract you from what God has asked you to do. As you follow Christ, don't compare yourself with others. Okay? Tonight's message was simply entitled, How to be smart. Well, how to be smart? Well, number one, be the kind of person God wants you to be. And number two, do all that God wants you to do. May God help you and may God bless you. Amen. Thank you.